Last week we looked at the shows and displays put on across the country in the 50s and 60s by the Civil Defence Corps. This was all part of their ongoing recruitment campaign. It was a voluntary organisation, so they had to, of course, attract people to it, make them want to give up their spare time to get involved. The Corps was formed in 1949, so that's just four years after the end of the war. So, can you blame people for not wanting to join up? Surely many of us were tired of war and everything that reminded us of it. The last thing some people wanted was to put on a uniform again, get behind the wheel of an ambulance again, put on a tin hat again, dig about in the rubble again. So the Civil Defence Corps had to battle against the general war weariness of the British population. We weren't all sick of it, of course. Some people couldn't wait to get back in about it. And as we said last week, most of the early recruits to the Corps were men and women who'd been involved first time around and perhaps missed the thrill of action, the feeling of being useful, the structure and order and purpose of being involved in civil defence work. So those people volunteered gladly. But what good is a civil defence corps in a nuclear war if it's drawn mostly from people who fought the last war? How can you meet this new threat if you're staffed by blokes and gals from the old threat? And so, recruitment, recruitment, recruitment. The Corps were always putting on their shows to get new people involved. They were out chapping doors, publishing adverts in newspapers, and, as we'll see today, making short recruitment films. You must keep getting new people in if you want to avoid being seen as some kind of blitz reminiscence society. So today we're going to look at their famous recruitment film, The Waking Point, and see what this tells us. Look to Berlin, the meeting place of East and West, on our European doorstep, and read the ominous signs. Riot and terror, demonstration and disorder, the conquest of the minds of the rising generation. If these are the forces deployed today, who can tell what might be launched tomorrow? Made in 1951, the film starts with news footage of what would have been familiar scenes at the time. Refugees, frightened people, dictatorships, parades. We hear warnings of Red China and Germany and conquest. But then, phew, cheery music, light music, because we're back in civilised old Britain where such things could never happen. And of course, one of the reasons that could never happen is because of good, sensible, patriotic people joining up to the Civil Defence Corps. Now, women played a big part in the Civil Defence Corps. By 1954, just three years after this film, more than half of all recruits were women. Although, yes, they did tend to be concentrated in the welfare section, the typically female area of core work, I suppose. But despite that, this film isn't very kind 
to the female audience. We see the recruiter trying to interest two women in joining, and they're young and blonde and pretty, and they say dismissively that they haven't the time, and one of them says, I'm not giving up my evenings for anyone. Oh, selfish women, probably spending their evenings putting their hair in curl papers and plucking their eyebrows. And so the recruiter turns to a solid, dependable, tired-looking older bloke. And he asks him to consider joining up. And, nah, he doesn't seem too keen and he blames the wife. Gwen wouldn't be too happy if he was to spend an evening away from the fireside. So there we have it. Britain would be a lot safer if only women would stop being one of two classic stereotypes, nags or silly girls. Although in reality, as we said, more than half of the civil defence volunteers were women. But never mind the reality, the image they wanted to portray was a volunteer force that is tough and brave and patriotic and 1950s Britain, that means blokes. And so this film is aimed at recruiting men. The women are, as we said at the beginning, seen as flighty, uninterested or trying to hold back the man from doing his duty. So they're of no use to us. And instead, we must put all our hope in recruiting this middle-aged, as I said, weary and tired-looking man. It's those sensible, hearty, experienced, older blokes who'll see us through. So our tired, weary bloke... Joe goes off home but on his walk back going along a nice sunny country lane because this is of course idealised Britain it's not grubby inner city Britain it's not soulless new town Britain it's sunny rural peaceful Britain the kind of Britain that soldiers were told they were fighting for and which should again be protected so as he strolls along this lovely country lane he spots some children playing on a sandy hillside and he gives them a sensible ticking off. Then again, look, his attention, his masculine, serious attention, which should be devoted to joining the Civil Defence Corps, is being distracted by children. And this is women's work. Again, ah, women keeping men from their patriotic duty. And when Joe, tired and weary, gets home, and tentatively mentions joining up to the Civil Defence Corps, his wife starts nagging him. She even puts her iron down so that she might concentrate on the nagging. Now look here, Joe, I've had enough. It was bad enough during the war when you had to do it night after night. When you did have an evening off, I was up to my elbows in nappies, babies, bottles, and I don't know what else, there was no end to it. Now when the kids are older and we could enjoy an evening off, you want to stick a tin hat on your head again. Honestly, you make me tired, really, you do. Now, that nagging wife, don't I know her from somewhere? Yes, surely it's Barbara Lott, who played Ronnie Corbett's mother in Sorry. The hen-pet husband is played by John Slater, who later starred in Zed Cars and Passport to Pimlico. So, poor Joe is shuffling around the parlour, being nagged by Timothy's mum. And as he shuffles, he even kicks lightly at one of the chairs like a frustrated little boy who's not allowed out to play. 
Whilst he's uh, stuck at home, we see friends and neighbours out being men. They're in uniform, not rumpled old shirt sleeves like him. And while Joe trudges up and down the garden with his lawnmower, no doubt having been ordered to mow the lawn by the nagging wife, they're out with trucks and uniform, enacting civil defence exercises, practising rescue from rubble, excitement, adventure, a chance to get away from the wife. If only Joe could get a taste of the action. But... Remember those pesky kids he gave a telling off to, the ones playing on the hill? Well, the blighters have only gone and gotten themselves trapped. One of them runs home to Joe, crying, Daddy, Daddy, come help us! And Joe leaps to his feet. At last, action! He can show he's a man once again, just like during the war. Daddy, we were playing in the sandpit and Jimmy got buried in the tunnel. All right, dear. Don't cry. Just tell me where he is and I'll soon have him out. Joe digs and scrabbles at the dirt, determined to rescue his boy. The nagging wife appears, as do the local civil defence lads who muck in and lend a hand. But Joe is the one doing all the work. He's the one issuing orders and commands to the men in uniform. He's the one sweating and digging and rescuing. And the nagging wife stands by helpless and breathless, her face full of admiration for her big strong husband. No one phones the ambulance or fire brigade. No need. Joe is here. Then the stupid brat is hauled out of the earth and everything is right again. The kid is safe. Joe is a strong and capable man once again and his wife no longer a nag. Instead she has been slotted neatly back into her 1950s gender role as she sits at Joe's feet and hugs and pats and nuzzles her rescued boy. Aww. In the next scene, Joe has joined the Civil Defence Corps and you can bet there was no nagging from his wife this time. He's back in uniform. He's back giving orders. At this time, 1951, this scene might have looked impressive. But watching it now, we cringe a bit because we know that all the heroic measures Joe is learning you know, the strapping people to stretchers lowering them from damaged buildings, putting fires out with weak little sprays of water we know this would all have been useless in a nuclear war but that wasn't the point of this film the audience weren't being asked to evaluate how effective civil defence was They were just being asked to join up. Just get your name on the bit of paper, please. Just join. And then we can sort everything out. Then we can learn techniques. Then we can argue over how good it all is or what it's all for. But just join, for God's sake. That was the point of this film. So for now, Joe is the hero. He's back in uniform. He's covered in good, healthy sweat. We see him in the rubble and... Dashing through the ruined buildings, he's practically Rambo now, he's Arnie. We see him later, having a well-earned break, boozing and smoking at the bar with the rest of the blokes in training. Certainly no women around here to nag and moan. And as Joe goes to sleep at the end of the day in his dormitory at the training school, he's suddenly shaken awake by someone who barges into the room. Joe, wake up! It's war!
Then, in a twist worthy of the Twilight Zone, Joe sits up in bed. It was all a dream. There is no war. It hasn't happened. There's still time. Still time, yes. But also there could be no time. The siren could wail at any second. Bombers incoming, they'll be here in minutes. So yes, there is plenty of time until the siren goes off, in which case there's no time. (laughs) So join up, be decisive, be a man. Of course, that wasn't the only appeal in the film. The appeal of a masculine, heroic, decisive image. There was also the fact that you would learn in the court undeniably practical skills. That was the whole point of this story, of course, in the first half. Joe puts his knowledge to use, not to save strangers from a bombed building or to put out fires, but to save his own son from a sandy hillside when he was out playing. And to, perhaps, (laughs) save his own marriage by restoring himself in the eyes of his wife. That was probably a way of silencing any critics of civil defence's usefulness. You might hear people say that civil defence is useless against an atomic bomb. Maybe, yes, but chances are an atomic war won't happen. But your son could easily have an accident, or your wife could easily nag you. Solve those worries today by joining the Corps. Thank you everyone for listening. Let me also thank all my patrons... Special thanks this week to Linda Woolnuff, Kevin Butcher, Simon Allison, Sean Judge, Paul Maxwell-Walters, Wynne Grant, Ben Capper, Mary Freer, Phil Catling, Steve Sace and Gordon McNair. I think next week we'll take a break from looking at the Civil Defence Corps and perhaps we'll go back to looking at one of our films. In past episodes we've examined nuclear war films. I think I might take a look at On the Beach, which of course was a nuclear war novel and then film. I think the novel is far superior to the film (laughs) because the film tends to be quite Hollywood and quite romantic. Um, It stars Ava Gardner and Gregory Peck. So if you haven't seen it, that should let you know what the, the tone is like. It's not quite as devastating as the novel is. Not when you're swooning over Gregory or admiring the glamorous Ava. So I might take a look at either the novel or the film on the beach. So that's a heads up if anyone wants to read or watch in advance so we can have a discussion about it next Sunday. Of course, if you have any other suggestions for podcast topics, please do get in touch with me. I'm on Twitter at Julie A. McDowell or on Facebook under Nuclear Britain or there's my website, juliemcdowell.com. Thank you all for listening and special thanks to my patrons. If you want to support the podcast with uh, a Patreon donation, please take a look at patreon.com forward slash Atomic Hobo. And I'll be back next week with another episode.